Home is a member of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. To learn more about the other shows in the lineup, visit boingboingpodcasts.com. And to learn more about this show, visit homestories.la. A program note. I've taken the slides that I talk about in this week's episode, and I've put them on the show notes page at homestories.la. So if you want to get a look at the family that I'm calling the Andersons for some reason, that's where to look, homestories.la. Who were we? How did we live, and what did it look like? This week, Kodachrome, Part 2. This is Home, Stories from L.A. I'm Bill Barol. In Episode 21 of Home, we met Charles Phoenix, who's carved out a niche and a living as a sort of slide whisperer. He teases stories of mid-century America out of his vast collection of Kodachrome slides, gives them his own spin, and passes them on in shows and talks around Southern California. Sitting down with Charles inspired me to go digging around my office closet for an old eBay score that, to be honest, I'd completely forgotten about. All right. Here we go. God help me. Yeah, this is uh, <clears throat> this is the closet where everything ends up. Um, where are you? Uh, oh yeah, here we go. Uh, yeah. Hello. Haven't seen you in a while. It's a set of family slides from the mid-1960s in a Kodak carousel slide tray. You may remember those. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. It let's us travel the way a child travels. Round and around back home again. To a place where we know we are loved. Who were they? I have no idea. How did they live? I can take some guesses. Let's call them the Andersons good, solid mid-century name with a hint of the old world behind it. Also, it was the name of the fictional family on the ancient sitcom Father Knows Best, so, you know, why not? They lived on RD3 in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, I'm assuming, not too far from where I grew up in Philadelphia, because the slides portray both warm weather, here are some forsythia growing near the cellar door of their neat two-story white house, it's April 1967, and winter, Here's Grace shoveling snow from the driveway the day after New Year's in 1968. It had snowed five inches a few days before, and the area was bracing for record cold. I know that because I looked up the local paper online. I know she's Grace because the photographer took the trouble to annotate each slide 
in a spidery handwriting. If the cultural custom held here, and there's no reason to assume it didn't, he was Grace's husband, the man of the house. But we don't know his name. Anyway, it's a new year, 1968. There's a scrim of gray clouds floating low across the sky. A couple of cars sit in the driveway up to their hubcaps in snow. One's a rambler, I think, and parked in front of it, a blue triumph. Wind the scene back eight months, past winter and fall and summer, and into the height of spring, and here's the triumph when it was brand new, in April. The driveway's grassy now, green on both sides, and this is the ceremonial first picture of the new family car, according to the note on the slide, and it was taken with a new camera. That's carefully noted there, too. New car and a new camera. They were doing all right, the Andersons, Grace, and whatever his name was. 1968 must have been a good year for them. I hope it was. The McClures lived next door. This was their actual name, not the one I made up for them. It's noted on the slide in that same backward-leaning handwriting. There were wide lawns between the Andersons' stodgy White House and the McClure's almost identically stodgy White House. You can see a ghost of the open rural space it used to be. But you can also see modernity sticking its nose in via the newer house on the other side of the McClure's, low-slung and angular, a wall around it fabricated from architectural concrete block. Here's Phil McClure riding the mower across the lawn that separates his house from its more modern neighbor. It's October 1968, and Phil's a geeky-looking kid squinting through his glasses at the camera lens. He's 16, maybe. You wonder if the thought of going to Vietnam has ever crossed his mind. You're pretty sure it's crossed his parents. The front page of the Daily News from down the road in Lebanon, PA, will run a headline in that evening's edition that banners, Hanoi fails to act on peace efforts. But for now, it's a bright fall day, the sky is blue, and there's lawn to be mowed. Back at the Andersons, meanwhile, it's that same October day in 1968, and we're inside the house now. Here's Grace again, at her sewing table. She's a stolid-looking woman of maybe 50. She's wearing amber glasses of a kind that will one day become cool, but aren't yet. And she's focusing a little too intently on her sewing machine, in a way that suggests a husband just out of frame, ordering her to make it look natural. Is it domesticity we're looking at, or a cartoon of it? I don't know. We do know Grace's husband was okay with letting her wrestle a shovel full of heavy midwinter snow around while he stood back and took a picture of it. So maybe this was a similarly authentic moment. Let's leave it there. One more moment now. And this one's a mystery. In the living room four months earlier, June 1968. Here's Fred Kuhns Jr., a neighbor kid, judging by the formally full notation on the slide. And he's maybe 13, and he's in pajamas. This is probably the least relaxed photograph ever taken of a kid in pajamas. He's standing straight, his arms at his sides, torso angled slightly. He's wearing slippers. You can see the reflection of the camera flash in the picture window just behind the love seat. There's nothing resting on any surface in this picture. No magazines, no books, trays of little mints, no tabletop tchotchkes, nothing suggesting the everyday look of a lived-in American home. The silk sofa pillows 
are perched uneasily on the arm of the love seat, suggesting they've been moved out of the way because, I don't know, because they were too good to rest your arm on, maybe. This is not a room where anybody was going to be relaxing tonight. The kid, Fred Jr., let's say he's there for a sleepover, but there's no sign of the Anderson kid who would have been his friend. He's just a solo kid in pajamas, posing in front of some drapes. If he was promised fun at the Andersons, I think we can safely say it hadn't commenced yet. There are other slides, of vacations mostly, an incredibly common subject for home photographers, but beyond the scope of this podcast. Anyway, these and some others are the highlights, such as they are. That's all I have of this family. It's all I know about them, and all I've been able to make up. It's an incomplete sketch because, of course it is. Maybe the only thing left to do is think for a second, we should think for a second, about provenance. How did these slides make their way into my hands? The short, unfulfilling answer is, well, I got them on eBay, in one of those collector's frenzies that periodically sends me hurtling down some obscure rabbit hole of Americana, convinced that if I don't rescue these things, whatever they may be, if I don't give them a home, they'll end up in a landfill somewhere. Two things about that. One, so what if they did? And two, not much ends up in landfills anymore, at least not much of anything that someone somewhere considers for some fleeting, greedy second might be worth something. eBay exists to connect people like that with people like me, the casters off and the collectors, in a weirdly perfect symbiosis, memories and desires unplugged in one place and reconnected in another. It's the first of those, that unplugging part, that always brings me up short a little bit. Here are moments in the life of a family, and that's what makes them interesting, of course, in a prosaic way. But it's also what makes them a little disturbing. Not because it's voyeuristic to look at them. Other people's family photos are rarely unusual enough to tickle that itch. As Charles said in the last episode, most people take the same pictures in the same ways. You see the same compositions again and again and again. No, they're disturbing, at least they are to me, a little. Because somebody took the trouble to mark these moments, and then, later, long after the moment had passed, someone, maybe the same person who captured the image, more likely, I think, someone else entirely, someone made a conscious decision to get rid of them. Your mind goes to some extreme scenarios. Death, of course. Divorce, families split apart. Memories that are just too painful to hold on to. But eventually you settle on a more mundane explanation. The pictures pass to a second generation of the photographer's family, then a third, or they were discovered in a closet, long forgotten. And the person who found them felt such a tenuous connection to the people in the pictures that a decision was made. They weren't worth hanging on to, weren't worth the small amount of house room they took up. Not anymore. That's too bad. But if we believe, and I do, I believe, that these images add up to a vast, impressionistic portrait of the American family story in mid-century, we have to admit that this is part of that story. The separation of families from their own histories. From themselves. Through time and distance, sure. But also through a kind of calculated indifference. We're Americans. We move forward. It's what we do. And that momentum comes at a price. And that price is 
connection to our own history. Sometimes that connection is a rubber band. It frays with wear and then it snaps. But sometimes the disconnection is more willful than that. It's less a rubber band than a knotted string. And someone deliberately unties the knot and drops the string and it floats away. Once these moments, for just a moment, were thought important enough to archive. And they were, because somebody thought they were. And then they weren't, because somebody decided they weren't. I don't know what happened to the family I've called the Andersons, or to the McClures, or the Cunes. Grace is most likely gone now, along with her unnamed, unseen husband, the guy who was so intent on recording his family history that he erased himself from it. That seems ironic, I guess. Until it doesn't. We all get unplugged from our own stories, one way or the other. Maybe the best we can hope for is that someone comes along to bid for them, and sign for the delivery, and attach their own meanings to the bright, unfaded images in the carousel slide. And we become, at last, fiction.